thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. I still like that intro. It's been a while. Well, that's good. It's been a while. Still enjoy it. Be such a bummer if you're like, God, that intro, intro sucks. <laughs> uh, welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. It's me, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Dan. It is almost October, the spookiest season. Spooby month. Spooby month, almost. Last uh, September episode, that time of year when people who normally don't even care about horror get into it. I, could, I, I was like, wait, is it really? And then mm-hmm. I just looked at the date. Yeah, yeah. Y- you're absolutely correct, Dan. Uh, and in October, we're going to have our special um, uh, new live show. So a reminder to get those tickets for the first annual Scared to Death Live Haunted Halloween True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror. You can get your tickets now for this Moment House digital experience at badmagicmerch.com. Thursday, October 28th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. But then it'll stay available through Halloween mm-hmm. until the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. We'll be telling three stories that all took place on Halloween night. You will be sharing some spooky fan stories. I, d- I did so far find one that takes place on Halloween. <laughs> no way. Awesome. I know. I'm trying really hard. The theme continues. I'm doing my best. There'll be a live chat room for those watching in real time on the 28th. Uh, yeah, and you'll be able to rewatch it. You know, or if you can't make it, you can watch it again and again. Right. You, you can do whatever you want with it. Through Halloween night. You could, like, turn it on mm-hmm. and, like, watch it with your family, listen to it as you go to sleep, mm-hmm. put it up on a projector in your backyard. Like, you, yeah. you do whatever you want. Uh, also at BadMagicMerch.com, the limited edition merch for this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will no longer be available, this merch, once the Halloween's over and November has begun. Correct. So you can get it now. You can get that stuff now. Uh, awesome Halloween mask tee, horror tee, hoodie, 15-ounce mug, neon graveyard tee I was just wearing the other day, uh, long sleeve in that, 80-by-60-inch uh, blanket, trick-or-treat tote, horror Halloween tee and hoodie. So much. So many things. So many things for a cool collection. And now show. Okay. Show. Showbiz. <laughs> showbiz. Showbiz. Uh, I have a graveyard creatures double feature oh. for tonight. Wait. Graveyard creatures? Graveyard creatures double feature. But I like your little rhyme. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I have, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. one story entitled The Digger. Ooh. Maybe about a grave. Maybe not. Okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell you. And then for our second story, I just want to make sure I'm talking about the right one because I was working mm-hmm. on multiple episodes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm glad that I checked. I was going to tell you the completely wrong thing. <laughs> uh, uh, a story about a witch in a family. Interesting. Yeah. And we just, I, I want to talk about it more before we dive into it, but mm-hmm. we don't really talk about witches that much. Of all the topics. Mm-hmm. Of all the horror lore. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a tricky one for me. I don't dig into those stories as much because a lot of them come from uh, just re- re- misguided religious notions. You know, mm-hmm. like I think of like all the Salem witch trials and mm-hmm. innocent people being burned for no reason. So there's a... There's an especially dark history yeah. that's not paranormal, specifically around witches. So, sure. so stories are trickier to find. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll give you my but opinion I like later. But I like him. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm into witches. I, I might be a witch. All right. Uh, yeah, I have two tales of haunted cemeteries. Okay. Uh, first up, Bachelors Grove, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, and then St. Philip's Graveyard in Charleston, South Carolina. 
Okay. So, staying in the States for all of my horror today. Way over there. Mm-hmm. That's right. All, all east of the Mississippi. Yeah. I mean, I just had a thought. I just wanted to share really quickly. You know, we record in advance, mm-hmm. but something that's been happening because the Annabelles get their episodes early. Yeah. So, like, we're weeks out, but... When they get the episodes, they're like, hey, where's like that merch that you were talking about? Oh. Hey, where's that ticket for the thing? It's like, ha ha. Uh, Didn't think of that. Your stuff is available to you at the same time as available to everyone else with the episode drop. Yeah, with the official like normal Tuesday night release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a little tricky with the early releases. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Uh, ready to head a bit south to uh, or a bit, a bit south of Chicago. <laughs> I want to say a bit, so- a bit south to Chicago. But that doesn't make sense. It mostly sounded like you said you want to head a bitch south. You want to head a bitch south? Yeah, let's head a bitch south. And as I started saying it, I'm like, wait, that's not quite right. I mean, it technically is south of us, but that wouldn't be the way you would describe it. Latitude wise, no. it's a little bit south, but it's much like, more east. Much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, go to that place that they kind of call the Midwest that's like maybe not the Midwest for me it feels very Midwest Chicago it's like, I know. The, it's like the capital of the Midwest well uh, but, it's the Midwest New York but people like Kyler is like that's not the middle of the West I'm like I know it's a little east hang on buddy calm <laughs> down uh, decent amount of setup on this one uh, do you have socks? I do. I just was like, oh, my God, I got cozy. Mm-hmm. And look at these little ghosty lovers. Those are very cute. They're like little, like... Uh, They're almost Pac-Man ghosts. I was just going to say, a little like two Pac-Man ghosts, just in love, holding hands, <laughs> making out. Mm-hmm. They're cute. Uh, we have talked about numerous places here on Scared to Death uh, before where the veil seems to be especially thin between the world of science and what we can see and test and some other world. A world of spirits, ghosts unidentifiable entities, the paranormal. Bachelors Grove Cemetery, a historic graveyard in Bremen Township, Illinois, part of Chicago's southwest suburbs, seems to definitely be one of these places. When I heard the story the first time, randomly, it might seem, at first, the La Brea Tar Pits came to mind. Hmm? Okay. Are you watching that new show? Nope. Okay. Just checking in. Uh, Stay with me for a second on this uh, Brea Tar Pits comparison. Natural asphalt, also referred to as pitch or tar, has slowly bubbled up from this area, now in the center of Los Angeles for tens of thousands of years. Crude oil seeping up from the Salt Lake oil field, mixing with the atmosphere to become heavy, sticky sludge that has trapped numerous mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, dire wolves, ancient bison, large sloths, so many other mammals, large and small, for thousands of years. And their remains carefully are preserved and fossilized in the tar, their last moments of hunting or being hunted frozen in time. I wonder if Bachelors Grove Cemetery is similar to the La Brea Tar Pits, but instead of being a place where old bones remain, it's a place where spirits and other entities have become stuck somehow. A place where they stay trapped and frozen in time. The graveyard seems to be filled with so many different ghosts. Some seem harmless, others seem as if they may want to terrify any trespassers who come to the cemetery at night. Bodies have been buried in the cemetery for the better part of two cemeteries or two centuries. <laughs> They've been buried in the cemetery for two cemeteries. I like it. It's a new way of telling time. <laughs> the area around Bachelors Grove was originally settled by Englishmen in the 1830s. The land was surveyed and declared a good area for homesteaders thanks to its heavy woods, easy access to plenty of water, and flat grade. The Bachelor family was an early pioneer family that moved to the area among the first group of settlers and probably an influence on the cemetery's name. The first bodies were buried in the cemetery in 1834 after some German immigrant workers died in an accident while working on the Illinois and Michigan canals. The most notorious bodies buried there may be unknown. In the 1920s and 30s, Chicago gangsters supposedly used the cemetery and a duckweed-choked slough next to it as a dumping ground for their victims. 
By the 1950s, all official burials had stopped. The cemetery's plots were now full, and soon after, the cemetery closed down. And now teens started to use the spot as a lover's lane. They also came to the property to vandalize it, leave graffiti and trash, destroy headstones. And the cemetery now lies in a state of disrepair thanks to many years of trespassing and vandalism. Some of these trespassers have left and uh, have left with some interesting tales to tell. Some have fled within minutes of arriving at the cemetery, terrified by the restless spirits they claim to have encountered, coming from roughly 200 un- or 200 marked graves and an untold amount of unmarked ones. Time now for the tale of the restless dead of Bachelor Cemetery. For decades, people have reported seeing blue orbs. There have been reports of phantom, a phantom farmhouse that shimmers in the air, then vanishes. A ghostly farmer and his horse wander into the woods by the cemetery. A two-headed ghost has been spotted, as well as a black dog that likes to follow visitors at a distance and a strange yellow man. This odd collection of spirits all have their origins and encounter stories. The White Madonna, perhaps the most famed of these ghosts, let's start with her story. Her apparition appears as a woman in a white dress wandering aimlessly throughout the cemetery, occasionally with a baby. You can only see her during a full moon night. Sightings of her date back to the late 70s. In 2000, a report surfaced of photos taken by a group in 1979 showing a monk-like figure standing near the cemetery fence. The figure appeared to be wearing a hooded robe and holding a baby in its arms. Numerous local police officers have reportedly seen her, but none have gone on record supposedly too afraid of ridicule from their coworkers. Some say this spirit's name is Mrs. Rogers and that there's an urgency in her manner as if she wanders about searching through the tombstones for a lost treasure or person. Local lore says she's buried next to, but not with, her baby, and that she can't be at peace because of this separation. Witnesses who've seen her without her baby assume she wanders the cemetery searching for her missing ghostly child. There is a Luella Rogers and a Daniel Rogers buried in Lot 15 next to an infant daughter headstone. Is this where the remains of Mrs. Rogers and her ghostly baby lie? Perhaps. Now for those orbs. The first report of orbs seen at the cemetery center around a blue light that seems to have been first reported in 1963. Uh, That year, three young boys got lost in the woods by the cemetery. They apparently went missing for a few weeks. When the police finally found them, they were terrified. They could only talk about a blue light they kept seeing in the woods. Then in the fall of 1963, one night around 2 a.m., five young men saw this same light while they were standing near the slough next to the cemetery. A blue light floated over the water towards them. They ran from it, jumped in their car, drove away, and they claimed it chased their car as they sped away in fear. The driver turned his head to look at the light, ended up sliding off the road and into a cornfield. His engine stalled. The men were stuck. Now the light suddenly flashed in front of them, hovering in front of the car, while all three watched it circled three times before continuing out uh, into the field and then out into the local Rubio Woods forest. The blue orb seen again in 1970 by Jack Hermansky. It was likely seen numerous times, but Jack was the one who actually wrote about it. One night, he saw the strange blue light in the cemetery, watched as it grew as large as a basketball, blinked every 10 to 20 seconds, then changed positions before suddenly disappearing. In 1971, local Denise Travis claims to have actually touched this blue light. She reported that she passed her hand through the blue light uh, one night in the cemetery, and then maybe, more shocking than touching the light, felt nothing out of the ordinary when she did this. Several additional supposed witnesses, though, uh, after her will claim that the light is not harmless. One said it actually pushed them. Others have reported watching a blue light move up and down nearby Midlothian Turnpike, south of the cemetery. 
and more still have claimed to watch the light float amongst the headstones. A lot of sightings of these blue orbs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems light is most often spotted on clear full moon nights, which could make sense. It's just easier to see on those nights. Or maybe it wouldn't be, actually, if it's lit up, uh, maybe easier to see on darker nights. But Oh, because you think it would glow more? Mm-hmm. Many whom have encountered it uh, believe it to be some sort of intelligent entity. It apparently often fades from view when people approach it and will often do things like reappear behind people, almost taunting them in a way, following them. It doesn't usually appear to be malevolent. Uh, no one whose story we've come across seems to have uh, had an encounter where it seemed to obviously try to frighten or terrorize them. This next spirit, though, does seem to induce a feeling of dread and fear in those who see it. Several people have reported seeing what has been labeled the ghost of the cemetery's caretaker, sometimes called the murdering caretaker, or for reasons never quite made clear, the one-armed sniper. Okay. According to some local lore, many years ago, back in either the 40s or the 50s, this caretaker went crazy, murdered his family. Accounts differ on the method of murder. Afterwards, the old stories say the caretaker committed suicide inside his house just outside the cemetery by burning it down with himself and his family's bodies inside. It's a pretty crazy legend. It's true. Uh, And then soon after the sighting started, caretaker sighting started in the 60s, reports began to spread around regarding his spirit wandering the grounds, primarily sneaking up on and then telling trespassing teens and others they needed to leave now. Those who have encountered uh, the spirit sometimes claim that the caretaker carries an oil lantern other times they say he holds a shotgun. Peter Crapia, founder of the Batchers Grove Cemetery and Settlement Research Center, has archived so many sightings at BatchersGrove.com, including a number of caretaker stories. A school teacher spoke to Pete about an encounter story from November of early uh, no sorry, from November or early December of nineteen seventy one. Said that two male college students parked by the pull off near the cemetery's pond or slough. They walked the path between the pond and the nearby creek and came upon an elderly man walking towards them carrying a lantern. He started shouting at them, asking what they were doing there. The students told him they were uh, there to see that blue light, the blue orbs. The man told him that the blue orbs were just an urban legend. They didn't exist, but he said the spirit of the caretaker was very real and that he knew where the caretaker's home was. He walked behind them as he guided them towards where his supposedly haunted or this supposedly haunted house was. And then on the way there, his lantern suddenly went out and he vanished without a trace, leaving the students in the middle of some woods near the cemetery. What? If they were near any old house, they didn't see it. They did suddenly feel pretty cold and afraid, and they hurried back to the cemetery, then to their car and left as quickly as possible. The next paranormal entity, not a spirit, but a ghost house, perhaps the house that last spirit spoke of. This is the weirdest one to me. The one that once belonged to that murderous caretaker, maybe. Often called the Phantom Farmhouse or the Magic House. This 1850s to 1890s Victorian-style house only appears to a select few cemetery visitors. It's supposedly a small, two-story white house with a porch, a swing, wooden pillars, and a small picket fence around its little yard. Witnesses who claim to see it often say it's slightly transparent with a yellow-orange flame flickering inside a window on the second floor. And the house disappear, disappears from view when they get too close to it. And these sightings started back in the 1950s. Some people have reported seeing this ghost house on the property the first time they visit the cemetery. It looks so real, they think nothing of it, feel no urge to check it out. It's just a house. And then when they come back a second time, they can't find the house. The house is gone. Other witnesses uh, don't find out that the house isn't real until they ask locals about the cute Victorian home at the edge of the cemetery property, only to then find out that no such home exists. At least not when they claimed to have seen it. In 1969, three high school girls claimed they saw this disappearing house. 
They say they parked uh, at the pull-off by the pond uh, and, you know, walked the path between the slough and the, and the creek. When they got close to the area between the creek and the cemetery fence, they saw an old house with a light shining through a window, a little flickering flame. As they got closer, the house now appeared further away. They kept walking, and it kept just appearing further away. It reminded them of a, of a mirage. Mm-hmm. In July of 1967, three brothers claimed to have seen this house, clearly, when they stopped at the cemetery on their way to a carnival. Uh, one of the brothers was hungry and joked with his other brothers that he'd like to go knock on the door, ask for a sandwich. Another said, I didn't see that house when we came in. Maybe it's the caretaker's house. Then when they got up to leave, the house just vanished. And maybe vanish isn't even the right word. It didn't vanish before their eyes. They saw it. They talked about it. They walked around looking at some headstones, chatting about this and that. And then when they went to leave, they just noticed that it was gone. How strange to have an entire house you had just seen and talked about suddenly just disappear. Cemetery visitors also report seeing the apparitions of a farmer and his horse. Allegedly in the 1870s, a farmer was plowing the fields with his horse when, for reasons unknown, the horse ran into the pond by the cemetery, pulling in the farmer and the plow behind him, and then they both drowned. Oh, no. Uh, That's what locals assumed happened or something similar. There was no witnesses. Uh, Their bodies in the plow were just found in the pond. What lured them in there or what pulled or pushed them in there and then maybe held them under the water... Many, many years later, an area paranormal researcher, Dale Kazmarak, interviewed two forest preserve officers in 1982 who said they'd seen the farmer and his horse and plow crossing the street by the cemetery when they were driving by late at night. They said they watched the spirits. Actually, they said they watched the spirits do more than just cross the street. They both claimed they watched the apparition come out of the pond, like come up out of the water, cross the street right in front of their headlights. The driver slowed the car to a stop. They both just sat there dumbfounded, mystified by what they were seeing. According to Dale, the officers never filed a report to avoid ridicule. In the early 1990s, local Lori Lambert was driving along the Midlothian Turnpike. She told Dale, a man driving a horse-drawn cart pulled up in front of me. I slowed down immediately. He went a few feet ahead, turned off the road, and just vanished. Sightings of a two-headed monster seem to have been attributed to this ghost of the farmer and the horse. In 1985, paranormal author Don Ferrant wrote about them in his book, Real Ghosts, Don't Wear Sheets. (laughs) (laughs) saying, and people claim to have seen a two-headed monster crawl from the water up onto the bank. But sometimes, say passing motorists, they have seen a murky monster going back into the waters and then disappearing. And then some other paranormal people think this is probably the, uh, the ghost of that horse and farmer. Yet another entity is referenced in another paranormal book in 1998, The Field Guide to North American Hauntings by W. Hayden Blackman. The grotesque creature wanders between the headstones, often accompanied by a legion of small dancing blue lights. His identity is unknown, but he may be the spirit of a deformed man who was kept hidden from society by his parents and secretly buried at the site upon his death. Those blue lights again. One of the strangest spirits of Bachelors Grove is a phantom dog with origins from the late 1980s. Two young men visiting the cemetery at night uh, are the first we know of to report a sighting of this entity. One of them saw strange flickering lights, yet again in the bushes. Uh, When he turned around, he saw the uh, back of a black dog running into the darkness. He pointed, his friend watched it run away as well until it just, you know, vanished. In the late 90s, Troy Taylor, author of Haunted Illinois, received numerous reports of a supernatural animal on the road to the cemetery. People typically claim to have seen the large black dog near the entrance, and then it just vanishes when approached. In the summer of 2003, a group of boys saw the dog behind a tree, and it began to run towards them. They turned, rode away on their bikes, fearing an attack, and then the dog again just disappeared. Author Jim Grassick claims to have seen the dog in the late 80s, writing about it in his book, Chicago Hauntings for Teens. 
He saw a black and brown Rottweiler come out of the woods, exit the cemetery. The dog followed him for a distance, keeping pace with him and his friends. The dog never barked or growled, but it did follow them for quite some time. It watched them get into their car and then just gone. The most elusive spirit may be that of the yellow man, or sometimes called the yellow phantom. The oldest record of a sighting of this thing comes from someone named Norman Basil, speaking to a reporter for the, uh, for the Chicago Sun-Times in October of 1984. Norman said, A month and a half ago, I saw an apparition standing by a tree. It was a yellow figure, a man with a hat, probably in his 40s. And then, again, just vanished. 96, a woman named Heather reported seeing the same yellow man. She said, I was starting to get bored with being there. Then it happened. I saw a man there dressed in yellow. I told my dad and he didn't see anything, neither did my friend. I couldn't help but stare at it. It wasn't a solid form, but more translucent in shape. I can't explain exactly what happened next, but I remember leaving the cemetery with my dad and friend. Then all of a sudden, I felt something cold rush past me. I started to run. I'd had enough. The yellow man may like to mess with cameras to avoid being photographed. Some paranormal researchers in a group called the Ghost Research Society claimed to have spotted this yellow man in the 90s and managed to capture him on camera. But then they, well, they thought they did. Their film showed up as overexposed and useless, and they think paranormal activity is to blame. So many different encounter stories, so many different entities, clearly something strange going on at Batcher's Grove Cemetery. Careful if you ever visit, what if something were to happen to you there? And then you ended up trapped there forever, stuck along with all the other entities in the strange paranormal tar that seems to bubble up from the grounds of this old graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. I would like to not be stuck there. Yeah, this is. I know sometimes you like to like a little bunch of quick hits. Yeah, yeah. So this was like uh, the next cemetery tale I'll tell is more of like a longer narrative, a mm-hmm. little bit of history, and then one person's longer story. But this is just interesting to me because there's and there was more. I actually cut some out. Yeah. Because I didn't want it to go on and on and on forever. Yeah. But it's like uh, there's other entities and there's just uh, so many little like little sightings. Mm-hmm. I saw this thing and it vanished. I went there. This weird. I had this weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. Felt yeah. something touch me. Felt something cold rush past me. On and on and on and on. The vanishing house is particularly. I know that's an interesting one, right? Yeah, and it because because with all of the stories, because yeah. they there are many of them, and they all are more or less the same. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. With, within each entity or each sighting or yeah. whatever. You know, it's like oh, I saw the yellow man. Well, he always looks like this. He's always kind of like that. Yeah. This house, it's there, and then it's not. And, when when you have multiple accounts like that and they're all very similar, it gives it more credit, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, okay, okay. I mean, yes, you could have, like, done the research and you could fabricate your story and blah, right. blah, blah. But the likelihood of all of these people all having these various uh, encounters I and think none so of too. them being true, I don't, I don't buy it. I think so, too. I mean, I mean, skeptics, I mean, I get the argument on the other side. Uh, the argument against something like this being true is they'll say that once the lore begins, it kind of snowballs. Okay. And somebody sees some sightings, uh, word gets around, becomes like an urban legend. Other mm. people hear it. It influences them. Then when they go there, they're wanting to see something. They feel pressured socially into uh, having an encounter themselves. Then they add to the lore, which then makes other people, you know, kind of like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, see I, that argument, but I agree with you where it's like, yeah, but the odds that all of them mm-hmm. um, had heard that and that happened to all of them. Well, it had to start somewhere to based on something. Mm-hmm. And, and like the thing of like... Uh, Wanting to see something, I, I right. think that going somewhere and wanting to see something, I interpret that as being open to seeing something, 
and then being open to the other side and then mm-hmm. thus more likely to see it. That's that whole thing about like kids are more likely to see things right. than adults because they're more open, more open to it, more accepting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, it, I think it's both. I think it can be that in some cases. Mm-hmm. And then in other cases, I definitely think people manufacture stuff still where they're just like, they want to see it so bad. Right. You know, human imagination is a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but not, but again, like not all of those times. Well, and like the, was it like three brothers or three friends with the vanishing mm-hmm, house? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. I mean, like three dudes. It's hard to get all of them to go along with the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. Know. I got some pictures. Okay. This first one, just a, just a photo of the abandoned Bachelor Cemetery. It is interesting that it's abandoned. You don't, I feel like in, in like urban areas, there are not a lot of abandoned cemeteries. Uh, but I guess, no, but I guess actually. that makes sense. You know, like if somebody is run, like, let's say it's a private cemetery and they just like run out of money or then like the state ends up taking it like a foreclosure. Right. And then they're just like, well, we're not going to dump a lot of money into this. Like there are these old gravestones. Maybe we'll make it kind of like a park, but not going to keep it up with like an active caretaker because it looks pretty run down and has been in the past. There's another photo yeah. showing, that, showing that it's clearly not well maintained mm-hmm. and, you know, by the woods there. Uh, this is that creepy pond, sometimes called a slough, next to the old cemetery where a lot of the sightings revolve around, where the where the horse and the and the guy and the plow went in and come out of. Oh, that it's so tiny. Yeah, well, yeah, all sorry. that green, all that green is water. Oh, I was like, well, so it's a puddle. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. No, all that green is just like there's just so much algae and on veg- top of it. Okay, okay. What do they call it? Duck duck grass or something like you that. You called it duck grass, but I had never heard that term. Yeah. But that, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm a city gal. Okay. <laughs> and then well, uh, I just feel like there's so many like weird random terms. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, cheat grass. I'm like, I'm sorry, yeah. what? What huh. grass? Cheap it's grass, just, cheat grass. Yeah, yeah, to me it's just all grass, because where I come from, it's just grass. <laughs> we don't have all these funny names for it. Uh, and then I don't know what the story behind this last picture is, but it's just creepy. This is that um oh. the, that infant daughter next to that couple, the Mrs. Rogers. Bunch of candy and toys left as tribute to some, as some of some kind, maybe. Well, I don't know tributes so much as like you know a you prank. Would, no, it's just like you would go and leave flowers right. at you know a grave. So I think of it as more of like an offering. Okay, you know, or like oh, like I just think about like well, people that's what being, a tribute would be to an offering. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a tribute. I was thinking like in honor of. Oh yeah, yeah. As opposed to like I'm giving this to you so you won't come with me. Mm-hmm. Like a, an offering of uh, yeah. hi, you stay here. I'm gonna go this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean. That's no more strange or peculiar or odd than when you see something on the side of the road where there's, you know, a cross where clearly someone has died in an accident and then there's like a stuffed animal there. Or I mean, it's uncomfortable. And it's just just interesting. I haven't seen that before that I can think of, like all the Halloween candy and the toys next to the tombstone of the infant daughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe other like young kid uh, ghost hunters go in there and they feel inclined to leave something for mm-hmm. the little kid. Yeah. I am just focused on that Tootsie Roll. Funny, yeah, because you love Tootsie Rolls. I love a Tootsie Roll. Specifically those ones. I like the the longer ones. I like the little Dorito, little bag of Doritos off in the corner. Purple bag? Uh-huh. Yeah. I know. What flavor is that? <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, I can't see it clearly enough. There's, there's like a Beanie Baby monkey guy mm-hmm. down at the bottom with like the weird, creepy big eyes. This uh, These these pictures, if uh, you're just kind of joining our podcast, uh, always available on the Scared to Death podcast, Instagram, and Facebook. Okay. That is true. Mm-hmm. You can talk about them. You can comment on them. Yeah. All the things. You can see them. You can you you see, see them. You can look at them while you listen. Yeah. You can just scroll on by, like whatever makes you happy. Uh, are you ready for the second story of yeah. my graveyard creatures double feature? Graveyard keep creature. I can't say it. <laughs> I, uh, last night, wait, when you were talking about the full moon, uh, 
were in Idaho and the full moon last night. I don't know how it was anywhere oh, yeah, it else. Oh, so cool. It was humongous and so beautiful. Mm-hmm. We talked about it the whole way home. And I still forgot to put my crystals out and charge them last night. So. Oh, man, you got uncharged crystals. You got a bunch of flat crystals. Flat? Mm, flat. Uh, like they're, It's like they're like out of duds. gas. They're like duds. duds. Gas mm-hmm. tanks on E. It's okay. I can mm-hmm. charge them other ways. Little crystal meter. Just like <laughs> so sad. They're limp. This. They're limp crystals. Yeek. That mm-hmm. feels inappropriate, Dan. <laughs> uh, also, when you're talking about the La Brea Tar Pits, when I lived in LA, I had two different apartments right near the La Brea Tar Pits, mm-hmm. and they smell so wretched. Mm. Living over there was gross. But I lived at Park La Brea for a year, and then I lived at the La Brea Tower, and, but, you know, I have, like, a thing about the Tar Pits. I'm like, Funny. oh, so sweet. Like, mm-hmm. I remember, like, going over there, walking around, but also... God damn, that Stinky. smell well, would wake you up. Funny. So much sulfur. So much sulfur. Okay, that's all. Another spooky story now set amongst some tombstones right after an in-between story sponsor break. Thanks for listening to the sponsors who support our show, Creeps and Peepers. And now we head south from Chicago and east. Actually uh, south this time? Actually south, actually east, okay. uh, significantly over Just to checking. South Carolina. Just checking. Um, <laughs> a little bit of setup on this one. Uh, St. Philip's Graveyard. Is this one in the historic city of Charleston, South Carolina, is a graveyard where the remains of notable revolutionaries and politicians are buried. St. Philip's Graveyard is the final resting place for Colonel William Rhett, the man who captured Blackbeard the pirate. Also, Edward Russell, uh, signer of the Declaration of Independence. John C. Calhoun, U.S. Senator, Vice President, and numerous other notable residents. It's had a, had a long time to gather notable residents. St. Philip's Church boasts the oldest congregation in the U.S. south of Virginia. The church was founded way back in 1680. Dang. That's old. (laughs) Yeah, very old for America. Uh, So old it's referred to as Westminster Abbey of South Carolina. Funny. But many Charleston tourists don't venture to 142 Church Street, where it stands now, to view the headstones of notable former residents. They go for ghosts. They go mainly to learn the tragic backstory of Sue Howard Hardy and her haunting of St. Philip's Graveyard. Sue Howard married Gaston Hardy in the late 1800s, became pregnant in 1888. She and Gaston were uh, excited to start their family, but tragically on June 10th, 1888, Sue gave birth to a stillborn baby. She was devastated and in shock, and then another tragedy struck on June 16th. She died six days after giving birth of unknown causes at the age of just 29. I mean, probably related to the childbirth. Mm Mm-hmm. She was buried in St. Philip's Graveyard. Her headstone inscription now simply reads, Wife of Gaston Hardy. And then 99 years after Sue's death, a Charleston photographer came to the cemetery, claimed to capture her ghost on camera. I'll show that picture later. On June 10th, 1987, Harry Reynolds was taking pictures of the cemetery from outside the gates. He took a few hundred photos home to develop them, and we got his pictures back. One shocked him. He claims it's not doctored in any way that he actually photographed a ghostly figure of a woman bent over an infant's grave. Mm. Many believe the photo to be real and that the captured uh, image is the ghost of Sue Howard. Sue's spirit has never been able to move on from St. Philip's graveyard. Tourists have heard babies crying faintly, seen a female apparition wandering around the cemetery. Pregnant women or women who have had recent miscarriages seem to feel her presence the most strongly. Various pregnant women on ghost tours have reported feeling like they're choking. Cold hands wrapping around their throats sometimes. One woman had a frightening encounter that she posted about on an online blog. She said uh, she always went to the cemetery during her lunch break from her college classes at nearby College of Charleston. She'd always thought the graveyard was a calming place of comfort, but one day it suddenly felt eerie. She went to her favorite spot under a tree, heard a strange noise. She stopped, 
listened, started walking again, heard the noise again as she got closer to the tree and realized it was the sound of a baby crying, but there were no babies in sight. She decided to leave as she got closer to the gates. The crying faded away, but then when she was at the gate, something tugged on her sweater hard as if it wanted her to come back in. After seeming to pull for several moments, it let go. She fled the cemetery and never came back. The church and graveyard are only open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon or 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., but groups can request special access for nighttime tours. And that's when the following story takes place. During one of these special nighttime tours back in 2015, when a private tour of the graveyard turned into an encounter, one young woman will likely never, ever forget. Time now for the tale of Take My Hand. The heat was sweltering. Marissa was exhausted from the long day of walking in the hot, humid Charleston streets. She lived in the South all her life, but still every summer she felt somehow surprised with how truly hot it could get. That humidity. When it was bad, it always made being outside for more than a few minutes feel so truly unbearable. We're almost done. I'll try to find a way for us to sneak back to the hotel after this, Leo whispered in her ear as they walked into the restaurant. He could tell how exhausted she was. She hoped it wasn't so noticeable to the others. Marissa sank gratefully into her seat at the table, enjoying the feeling of the cool AC blowing over her skin. She was starving, but as much as she wanted to eat, she knew that nothing would stay down. Her morning sickness had been all-day sickness for the past few weeks. Marissa was just starting her 11th week of pregnancy. She and Leo had decided to hold off on telling their family, waiting for the perfect moment to announce it. When Leo's parents invited them for a weekend trip to Charleston, it seemed like the right time to tell his parents. But so far, they just hadn't been able to find that moment they were looking forward to make the big announcement. Marissa and Leo were terribly excited to become new parents and also pretty nervous. Such a big unknown. Luckily, they'd be uh, facing it in about the best circumstances you could hope for. They'd been trying for about six months, they'd been married for three years, and both had stable careers, and now a house together. When Marissa's pregnancy test came back positive, it was truly a joy and a blessing. Dinner passed uneventfully. Marissa enjoyed the conversation with Leo's family, and surprisingly enjoyed her meal. She felt energized by the food and the relaxing setting of the restaurant. Well, John, Leo's father, said as they paid their bill, Are you ready to head to St. Philip's? Marissa and Leo shared a what-is-he-talking-about look. They had completely forgotten about that being today. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad, but I, I don't think we can go. Marissa told me earlier she's not feeling well, and I, I'm fine. She interrupted him, forcing a smile. I, I feel better now. I want to go. And she did want to go. Marissa's great-great-grandmother Ethel was buried in St. Philip's churchyard, and when she found out Leo's family had requested a private tour, she felt like it was the perfect opportunity to learn a little about her family's history. If you're sure, Leo said uneasily, she was. The two couples soon headed out of the restaurant, making the short walk over to Church Street. It was 8 p.m. and the sun was starting to set, finally bringing some relief from the heat. It was the end of August and a cool breeze floated in the air, carrying with it the promise of a comfortable Charleston fall. They reached the church by 8.15. John made a phone call and the front doors opened, revealing an older woman with a kind, welcoming smile standing at the threshold. Rose, their tour guide for the evening. They walked into the church, craning their necks to look at the high ceilings. It was beautiful, like every old church in Charleston. While everyone else walked ahead to inspect the altar close up, Marissa stayed behind, admiring the stained glass windows. Unconsciously, her hand went to her stomach, a new habit she had to work hard to suppress. Expecting? Rose whispered quietly, making Marissa jump. She looked around carefully before answering, Yes. Congratulations, dear. I won't say a word. This church is beautiful. You must love coming here for service every week. I do, but I love walking around the churchyard even more. Some of my family are buried there, and it's such a special place. You'll feel it when we get there. 
she left Marissa with a kind pat on the shoulder. Marissa met the group up at the altar to listen to the presentation on the church's history and notable congregation members. She hated to be rude, but she felt it was a little boring, and sleepiness was starting to creep up on her. If everyone's ready, we'll head to the cemetery now, Rose instructed them. They now headed across the street to the entrance of the cemetery. Beautiful black iron gates guarded the entrance, keeping out any unwanted trespassers. Rose pulled out a key. The metal gave a loud creak as she swung open a gate. Marissa's sleepiness was gone. Now she felt excited, eager to find her grandmother's grave and to see who else was resting here. The place had a mysterious air about it, like there were hidden secrets hidden deeper in the cemetery. Being a curious person, she wanted to know those secrets. Cemeteries had always interested her a bit, but this one felt particularly interesting. Rose now locked him safely inside, began her speech discussing all the notable people buried in the cemetery. Then she dove into the story of Sue Howard and her stillborn baby. Marissa was horrified to hear it. Definitely bad timing for her to hear a story like that. Tragically, said Rose, she died just six days after giving birth. Historians today theorize she died of internal complications from the pregnancy and the birth. Poor Gaston was left alone, no wife and no baby. And of course, there's the ghost stories about Sue's spirits and the famous photo. But as we like to say here, the only ghost at St. Philip's is the Holy Ghost. Rose finished her speech, allowing them to ask any questions they might have about the churchyard. My great-great-grandmother is buried here, said Marissa. Her name was Ethel Graham. Do you happen to know where her headstone is? Or is there a guide of some kind I can look at? Rose frowned. Sorry, dear. I don't know where she would be, but we don't have any pro- and we don't have any proper location guides. But everyone is welcome to wander around and take a look at anything you want. I'll be here to answer any questions I can. Rose went with John and Cindy to the west of the graveyard, while Marissa and Leo went to the eastern side, where more, where more common people were supposed to be buried. They wandered around, using their phones as flashlights, with no luck. She saw name after name, but none she recognized. Leo! His father shouted. Come over here! We found Colonel Rhett! Leo grinned. He was a huge history buff, and pirates fascinated him. He could go on forever about South Carolina's legendary pirates and the law enforcement who tried to stop him. Go, Marissa told him. I'll be fine. I want to keep looking for a few more minutes. All right, but don't go too far. It's getting dark. I don't want you to fall. I'll be fine. Go learn about your pirates. He jogged off, and Marissa laughed at his excitement. She walked along the narrow path, stopping at each headstone. Before she knew it, she could no longer see Leo and his parents. Even though she knew she probably shouldn't, Marissa wanted to keep going to the back of the graveyard where it was the darkest. Feeling a mesmerizing pull, she decided to go off the path and into the grass. Maybe Ethel's spirit was drawing her in. Maybe making it easier to find her, she thought to herself. Marissa almost tripped over a large rock. She regained her balance, wincing as her toe throbbed from the impact. Pointing her light at the ground, she saw that it wasn't a rock. It was a headstone. A headstone for a baby. She was just a few months old when she died, well over a hundred years ago now. Sadness overwhelmed her. She already felt attached to her own baby and couldn't imagine the pain of losing it. How did this infant's family feel when they died? Sadness quickly shifted into wariness. Marissa had an uncanny ability to sense when someone was watching her. She couldn't remember ever being wrong, and now she felt eyes upon her, boring into the back of her head. And she knew before turning and looking that it wasn't going to be Leo or any of his family. She also didn't think that whoever was watching her was some kind of prankster either. She figured they would have already announced their presence. Hoping to catch whoever this person was in the act, she slowly turned her head before spinning around quickly, pointing her light ahead and glaring into the distance. And there was no one there. A shudder rolled through her, making her wrap her arms around herself. If no one was there, why did she feel so creeped out? Why did she feel so certain she was being stared at? 
Deciding to continue on, Marissa stepped away from the infant's grave and back to the paved path. Better to stay there than to fall and twist an ankle. When her foot hit the first stone, she felt a tug on her dress. Marissa jumped back, scanning once again for whoever was with her, and again there was no one. Marissa almost screamed when she felt another sharp tug on her dress. Was she really so tired and delirious that she was imagining things? There was no one near her. Of that, she was certain. So how could she feel something pulling on her clothes? She wasn't snagged on a branch or a headstone. The last thing she wanted to do was scream and have Leo come running, have his parents think that she was crazy. A third tug now not only pulled her dress, but actually yanked her backwards, away from the paved path and into the grass. Marissa nearly lost her balance, but managed to put out a hand, grab a headstone, and steady herself. She was shaking now. Her heart was pounding. Still, she tried not to scream. Instead, Marissa searched all around, looking for something, anything, to explain what was happening. Taking a deep breath and preparing to hurry back to her group, she took a slow step towards the grass, then felt a cold hand gently intertwining invisible fingers with her own. Panic overwhelmed her. She tried to pull away, but those fingers were strong, and they gripped her hand tightly. Now she felt really crazy. What was going on? How could she be imagining physical touch? Was it true, she wondered? Was this graveyard really haunted? She felt another tug now, but gentle this time, towards the middle of the graveyard. The invisible hand was trying to guide her somewhere. Trying to keep her cool, she assessed her situation, and she calmed herself down. Instead of terror, she began to feel peaceful, almost comforted in some weird way. Feeling foolish but needing answers, Marissa whispered, Ethel, Ethel, are you here? Are you trying to tell me something? Instead of an answer, the hand pulled her gently along through the graveyard, winding past headstones deeper into the darkness. The curious feeling was back and urged to follow and see what mysteries hid in the graveyard. Marissa felt that hand now let go of hers. Her arm fell to her side. It felt almost like, felt almost like her guide was dropping her off at a destination. She looked down at the headstone in front of her. Wife of Gaston Hardy, December 11, 1858 to June 16, 1888, she whispered to herself. Gaston Hardy, why did that sound so familiar? And then it clicked. Hardy, Sue Howard Hardy. Marissa shuddered, feeling nervous once again. This wasn't her ancestor, Ethel, reaching out from beyond the grave. This was a different spirit, completely. What did Sue want with her? Sue? She whispered, are are you here? Are you trying to show me something? A long moment of silence passed. Marissa held her breath, worried if she moved or made too much noise, the spell would be broken. She didn't know how much time passed. It felt like an eternity, but Marissa kept still, patiently waiting. She opened her mouth to ask another question, and then a gentle, cold hand rested on her stomach, right over her tiny baby bump. Marissa gasped, Sue? But anything she was going to say then left her mind. Marissa watched silently as a pale white outline of a woman appeared directly in front of her on the other side of the headstone. It then stepped towards her, That peaceful feeling she'd been having now suddenly vanished. Fear took its place. She was scared, really, really scared, and she also seemed to have lost control of her body. She couldn't move. Sue's spirit now stood directly in front of her. Pain and insanity filled its face. Marissa's heart was beating wildly in her chest. Her hands wanted to move towards her stomach again, instinctively, protectively. She was suddenly very worried about her unborn baby. But she couldn't move. Now she felt cold hands wrap up and around her neck. And the strength used earlier to clasp down on her fingers now closed down on her throat and cut off her air. She couldn't breathe. 
Oh my God, she couldn't breathe. There you are, she heard Leo's voice in the distance. Where have you been? Where have you, hey, what's going on? Leo now yelled. Let her go, he yelled as he ran towards the apparition and struck out at it. When his hand connected with where her body should have been, if she had one, the phantom's grip released and she faded into nothingness. Maria started to cough. She could breathe again. Rose now approached them. Leo's parents were still on the other side of the cemetery. Did she hurt you? Rose asked. I didn't want to warn you earlier. She's only ever done something to a few women that I know of over the years, always pregnant. I think she's so jealous of the future you have that she never had for herself. You should go. You should go now. Don't come back here. Marissa and Leo agreed. Both were so shook up to not only have seen a ghost, but in Leo's case to watch one attack his wife, in Marissa's case to be attacked. Once out of the cemetery, Marie and Le- Marissa and Leo told his parents that what had happened. And as crazy as their story was, John and Cindy didn't feel like they had much of a choice other than to believe it, especially when Rose said she had seen Sue's spirit before. The evening was not what Marissa and Leo had in mind when they'd been hoping for the perfect moment to tell John and Cindy they were pregnant, but it certainly was a memorable one. Luckily, despite the scares, the baby was fine. Six and a half months later, Leo and Marissa had a healthy baby girl, little Ethel. That's so cute. They named her Ethel. Mm-hmm. I was worried about the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad there was that little, like, uh, final update. I know. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, baby doesn't have two heads, like, mm-hmm. baby's okay. Baby's not born with black eyes and horns. Oh, my God. Uh, that's, a, that's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. Crazy encounter story. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, this is a cool picture of St. Philip's Church in Charleston. Oh, it is wow. very pretty. Pretty. Yeah, cool architecture. Uh, this next one, picture of the cemetery. So she had just a little picture of the different angles uh, we could look at. But then this last one, and hopefully we can zoom in here, Harry Reynolds. This is that photo, the June 10th, 1987, supposedly capturing the image of Sue Howard's ghost. Oh, my God. So obviously some people think it's been doctored. But I mean, but then there's other people on these websites that say it supposedly went through a lot of tests, went through Kodak's film lab and has not been doctored. If it hasn't been doctored. And you can see it if you're, yeah, if you're, um, you know, watching the show on YouTube. Obviously, it's that it's not the headstone closest to us. It's the next one back, and there's clearly the image of an apparition bent over in front of this headstone. Oh I think, God. like, very clearly. I, I've, that's crazy. Oh, I'm if like, that's wait, real. I keep waiting for it to like turn around and wave <gasps> at me. Um, what, what if that thing turned around, looked at you, and then came closer in the image? That would be amazing and terrifying. Um, it. It is such a particular shape. Yeah. I mean, it definitely. Wow. I'm trying to think of like, you know, when you look at a photo and uh, some you two people look at a photo and you each see something different and one of you sees what's actually there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But your eyes saw something else, and then once someone points it out, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I see mm-hmm. it now. I'm like trying to look at that and think like, okay, could it be anything that's not being pointed out to me? Is right. It, but it's just the way that like it looks like there's shoulders and a head and yeah. it's like semi-translucent. Yeah. Uh, ah, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. It really, really Ooh. does look like somebody kneeling down in front of the tombstone there. Ooh-wee. Interesting. My brain is always just like ping pong, ping pong. So you said Kodak and then I thought about my uncle who used to work at Kodak and my mm. dad and I were talking about him not that long ago. Yeah. I don't even know why. Um, he's long since been deceased and but i guess like way back in the day he was like part of the team that started developing digital cameras oh that's so cool it's so crazy and my dad's like oh yeah he would like sometimes we'd go to their house and he'd have this like proprietary information oh, he wasn't awesome. supposed to show us but he'd have this like big case and cool. you know pretty cool fun job 
Very fun job. I wish I would have known more about it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That, that's a crazy, crazy story. Yeah. And so sad. I mean, like, just even just thinking mm. about, like, in modern times, I think childbirth, childbirth is still one of the number one causes of death amongst women. I don't know what the stats are anymore, but yeah. it is. And I don't mean, like, in third world countries. I mean, here. Yeah, it where does we still have, happen with the best medical hair. Like, I wonder, I wonder like, how often it happens in hospitals compared to, like... Uh, home births. I, I think it's still pretty fucking hmm. intense, uh, which is it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I, so my mind was just like, huh, I wonder about that. I wonder about this. I wonder about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oftentimes it's what I'm writing down like, oh yeah, you should look that up later. Yeah, you, should, <laughs> you should find out what's going on over there later. Uh, wow. Well, I'm glad Marissa, not Maria, is doing great. Did I call her Maria a few times? Just once. Oh, just once. And right in the middle of it. Oh, I went, I went with Maria instead of Marissa. Mm-hmm. My brain just like switched it, yeah. swapped it. And then for about the first three minutes of the story, I was like, is it Leo or Leah? But it oh, was Leo. It Leo. was Leo. Okay. I don't know how I was saying it, but Leo yeah. for sure. You know, we all, yeah. we all have our little things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just harder for one set of ears to understand the other voice. Yep. No big deal. Um, okay, well. I'm ready to give you some scary stories. Okay. Before I do, I just had two things that I wanted to say. Uh, the books. Oh, yes. The books are on their way. Yeah, uh, They cool. were shipped. So we are still on time looking good, good, at good. getting those shipped out somewhere within the first week of October because some have to go to here mm-hmm. for us to sign. We have a thousand of those to sign and get boxed and by hand. And then the rest of them go to, we have various distribution centers across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our distribution company we use. So they have to like get sent to where they have to go. They have to be inventoried and all of that. Mm-hmm. So while it sounds like, oh, that should be quick. Just look at it. Count the books. They're there. It's like a little bit more detailed than that. Yeah. So be patient, but they, they will be there before Halloween. So just hang tight. Sweet. Sweet. And then we've been getting a lot of emails about where are the tickets for this 2022 uh, Bad Magic Festival? Oh, and yeah. I think that there was like just some sort of misunderstanding when we were talking about it last week. We don't know exactly when it's going to be. Sometime next August, mm-hmm. I am going in the next week uh, with our event planner and Logan to look at the space and figure out more specifics. And as we have information and details worth sharing, yeah. we we will share them. We just thought like... Just put it on your radar kind yeah, of Yeah, it's like, I mean... But thanks for the excitement. Oh my God, totally stoked. And like, we're yeah. the same way. It's like, oh, I would love to like be able to go do that. So, you mm-hmm. know, you you get an idea of like, you know, how much time do you need off of work? I have to, you know, for us, like we have to work ahead yeah. and kind of figure things out. So you're you're not missing it. The tickets are not on the website. We don't know what the cost will be. It'll be Coachella-esque if you're like trying to figure out how much to budget for getting to Idaho, all of that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to address that, that like you haven't missed it. We will be very explicitly clear about when they're on sale, how many tickets they are, how much they are, what the dates are, everything. But we just wanted to let you know it was coming. Sweet. All right. I'm excited, too. It's going to be so fun. I'm, I'm so glad that, other pe- that people are excited and, uh, and reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be so much fun. Oh, hey. You have a squishy Layla? I do. Oh, you have black Layla. Yeah. I'm, I'm digging her. All right, she's cool. She's cool looking. I know. I like. She has a little red heart. Mm-hmm. She's so cute. um okay so i was immediately drawn to this story you know some people when they submit they like give a little uh story title in their subject other times it's just like my story which all are acceptable Mm -hmm. this was called the digger that's a great title i thought it was a great title and like based on that name alone i was like okay are we talking a grave digger Mm -hmm. are we talking about like some sort of uh like railroad worker like or like somewhere like you'd be like digging a ditch i don't know yeah like 
What do you kind of conjure up when you hear I that? I, I, well, maybe just because my brain's on our, our Graveyard Creatures double feature. I keep wanting to say that. I know you do. It's just fun to say. Um, because of that and because yeah. of where my headspace was with those stories, it, I immediately think of Gravedigger. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I thought, too. Well, this story takes place in Georgia, which we know is one of the most haunted states. Mm, with Savannah and all those stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's find out what's going on with the digger down there. Okay. Hey, Lindsay and Dan. I'm a new listener to Scared to Death and was shown by the, uh, shown the way by a student of mine. I work as a horse riding instructor and stable owner in North Florida. I've been binging a CD most of the summer while feeding the horses or when my one-year-old is taking a nap. I'm a total creeper and have been since I was a kid. My mother, sisters, and I are true horror fans. My middle sister is a true crime author and podcaster, cool. while my older sister is married to a horror screenwriter. Anyway, I have had many paranormal things happen to me over the years, but this one situation is where I was truly scared to death. I went to college at Georgia Southern University at Statesboro, Georgia. I lived in a very cool old house from the late 1800s in the downtown area with three friends. I think all four of us were sensitive as we had many weird experiences in that house, but that's for another day. We had heard many stories from other university students about Ghost Road in nearby Brooklyn, Georgia. The story we had heard was that the road had been an old railroad bed that had been converted into a long, straight dirt road. On certain nights, you could see, way out in the distance down the road, a white light. Hmm. They said it was the light of a train still traveling down the railroad bed. I'd be willing to bet it had more to do with the refraction, since the road was so straight, you could see for at least three miles, but there were no houses and no streetlights along that part of the road. We were quite skeptical of that story, but it was the second part that really piqued our interest. Turning off Ghost Road was a side dirt road that led back out onto the highway. There was an old house and streetlight at the end of the paved road. When you turned onto it, when you turned onto it from Ghost Road, it was probably a mile long and completely straight. You could see the orange streetlight from the far end. We were told that if you parked halfway down the road, shut your car off, and turned off the headlights, mm -hmm. you could see a man digging in the ditch across from the light. His story was that his wife had been killed by a train and he was digging her grave. Ugh. I had driven down both roads in the daylight to make sure we didn't get lost, trying to find it in the dark, and they looked like any other South Georgia road. Nothing but cotton fields and planted pines. The roads were very sandy and could get very bumpy if they weren't maintained. In the ditch where you could, where you could supposedly see the man, there was nothing but tall grass. The old house there didn't look occupied. It was the literal middle of nowhere. One night, the four of us piled into Melissa's Honda CRV. It was an SUV with big, with big back windows. And we headed out to Brooklyn to see the ghost road and the digging man for ourselves. When we turned onto Ghost Road, we could indeed see a faint light at the far end of the road. We all sat there in surprise that that was even true. The light just sort of sat there, dimly flickering, but it was definitely there. After a few minutes of marveling at the light and coming up with theories as to what it could be, we decided to continue on to see if the digging man story was in fact true. We drove the mile and a half distance to where the second road turned off. We made the turn and could easily see the street light at the far end of the road. Melissa stopped her car about halfway down the road. We were in the middle of a huge patch of planted pines. The pines made the road very dark, but it was a clear night so we could see stars in the skies. 
She shut off the car and headlights, which made me naturally very anxious. And we all stared at the grass in the ditch under the streetlight. And after a few minutes, we could see him. There in the ditch, it looked like a man bent over, digging. Wow. Maybe our eyes were playing tricks on us, since it did like it could since it did look like it could just be the grass bending in the breeze. Until he straightened up. The distant figure stood up and we could clearly see he was wearing a hat, a light colored shirt, and darker colored overalls. He then turned and began to walk across the dirt road under the under the light towards the abandoned house. We stared in shock. Suddenly, though, he stopped in the middle of the road and turned his head in our direction. We all started screaming at Melissa to start the car. He turned and began walking towards us, still a half a mile away. Her hands were shaking so hard that she dropped the keys twice in her panic to find the ignition. When the car started and the headlights flicked on, he was suddenly only 100 yards away from us. How had he moved that fast? We could still see him moving unnaturally fast in our direction. Melissa threw the car in reverse, and behind us was a culvert where she turned around. As she backed in, I, sitting in the back seat, looked out the back window to help guide her so we didn't fall into the ditch. Suddenly, the surrounding trees grew very dark. The sky was blotted out, and it appeared that shadow figures began looming over our car. They closed in all around us on all sides. I started crying in fear and yelling at Melissa to hurry up and get us the fuck out of there. She turned the wheel and stepped on the gas. As soon as we had gotten back onto the road, I looked behind us again, and there he was, in the red glow of the taillights, right behind the car. She punched it, and we were out of there, going way too fast for the bumpy, sandy road. She made the turn onto Ghost Road on two wheels, headed back towards town. I looked behind us again, and there was only the light. Only now, it was huge and bright white, bearing down on us, like a train coming for us. We got the hell out of there, and never went back. Later, after we had recovered a bit, I did some research at the university's library but found absolutely no information on any deaths due to trains or anything in that area. I had wondered if the couple had been slaves and therefore wouldn't be any record of her death. There were large-scale cotton plantations all over the area, and at the end of the Civil War, General Sherman had been through and burned many of the houses and towns on his way to Savannah. Had we seen a man so devastated by the loss of his wife that he continued to give, dig her grave in grief all these years later? Was this his only way of keeping her memory alive? I suppose we will never know. Hope you enjoyed my story. It's probably the scariest thing that's ever happened to me, which is saying a lot because a lot of my friends have lived in creepy old houses while I was growing up. Love the podcast. Keep up the excellent spoops, Sarah. And then she says, P.S. Yeah. My brother-in-law's movies are The Night House, which released in theaters just this past week. But I don't cool. know when she sent this in. Sure, so, sure, sure. Um, Super Dark Times on Netflix, which I think I would like to nominate for TLA for the hmm. Annabelle Movie Club because hmm. it's a scary movie with a 90% uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes, okay. which like never happens. That's so cool. So it must be really good. And also Stephanie, uh, which she said she thinks is on Netflix. She said, check him out. His name is Luke. <sighs> A fellow Polak, Piotrowski. <laughs> Piotrowski. Okay, so, yeah. very cool. Yeah. And uh, man, her story could be seems like it could be like woven into a uh, screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. Like such an intense experience. And if you're seeing that with somebody else, like man, you're never going to be a skeptic after that. No way. If you see something that blatant, this figure like get up and then chase you, and then the light of the train being so right. more intense, like the whole thing. And and what a, what a sad thing. Like we're talking about sad, like the last story. Like, what if there's a, there is something where you can get like stuck 
Ugh, in time after death. I what, think like, you can. Like it's stuck in the worst moment of your life mm-hmm. and you relive it over and over and over. Like that sounds like hell. Like yeah. If, you, if you're digging your wife's grave over and over for eternity. Yeah. Eey. Or maybe it's some kind of punishment. Like, may, like maybe in life she was so frustrated with him because he never fucking listened when she told him <laughs> to do shit. Yeah. And so now he's stuck doing the one thing oh that she God. never would have asked him to do, which was dig her own grave. And all he wants to do is just get away from his wife. <laughs> his cat. He's like, there, I want to get away from the <laughs> nagging. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. yeah, of course, that would be so sad. And I also have to wonder... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, like, you know, you hear about these couples that one of them dies, generally older couples, yeah. who have been together more or less their entire lives, you know, yeah. since very young, and one of them passes away, and soon thereafter, the other one passes away, more or less of a broken heart. You know, right. they just, they can't find anything really wrong with the second person. It's just their yeah. their will to live, and their reason for living is just taken from them. I mean, what if in this scenario, it's like he just couldn't move on? It's not some sense of torture. It's not about mm. living the worst day of your life. It's just like... He can't get to her. Like, I don't know what the rules are on the other Ugh. side. So, like, what? Also a kind of hell. Yes. Just, just a different yeah. kind. Yeah. If you're trying to, like, you know, reach your loved one over and over and over, always falling just a little bit short. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what just... if the scariest part of all these stories is to be the spirit? Mm, I know. It would be pretty sad, actually. Man. Yeah. Ichiwawa. Ichiwawa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have time for one more? I do. Let me check. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, okay, so now my next story, I don't even necessarily know that I would call it scary. Mm-hmm. It just, um, I don't know. It just like had all these little elements of like so interesting to me because because we haven't really talked a lot about witches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so not coming from the Salem witch angle, not coming yeah. from, I do think mm, there might be a little bit of um, some some religion in here. Yeah. But but just a, like a family, regular family, and then this one person who's like, okay, mm-hmm. what's going on with uh, her? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because like when I think about my family, I want you to think about your family. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My family's insane. <laughs> my family has some stuff. Yeah. Uh, I have one family member that if I had to look at the whole like current generation, like my mom's family, like, like my mom, grandparents, my brother and I, those three generations, who could be the witch? Like if they're... <laughs> And if there I was know, one? If there was one. I know in my family, it would have been my mom's sister, my aunt Joyce. God rest oh, her soul. interesting. She just like, <laughs> I mean, stereotypically, she loved skulls. She loved everything black. Like she had these like long, ridiculous fingernails. I mean, they were fake, but like yeah. she was, and she was the odd duck. She was the black sheep of the family. She just didn't give a fuck what anybody else thought or anything. And she like really imparted that on me because my mom cares what everybody thinks. Yeah. But not my Aunt Joyce. And she just marched to the beat of her own drum. And I think, I really think, like, oh, she was very into dragons. Like, hmm. thinking back on it years later, I was like, oh, yeah, like, she did have crystals in her house. You know, oh, like, interesting. Yeah, she was, was just thing. kind of, uh, you know, I mean, raised Roman Catholic and all yeah. the things. But she was just the fringiest of all of us. Not in a bad way. Yeah. That's not a dig. It's just like, of all of us, she was the least traditional. And if I had to pick somebody, it would have to be her. I don't have a very, very non-traditional woman on my side other than maybe my sister. Like, my sister oh. would probably be the closest to it. But I don't think she's that witchy. No. But, but I just, there's no one else that jumps out as far as... Not Grandma Carol? Well, Grandma Carol was so religious. I know, but like if it... She hated that stuff. Right, but if witches kind of are bred from like misguided religion, 
And, mm-hmm. they, and they, those grandparents are very, like, fire and brimstone. Yeah, she was very fire and brimstone. It would have been, in, in the horror movie, she would have been the witch. Yeah. Because she would have been hiding behind all that. Maybe but, she but, was. But really doing, like, dark occult things. Who knows? That would make me like my Grandma Carol so much more. I know. If she would have been, I'm like, oh, you were cool. Maybe she was. Maybe you'll find <laughs> out in the, in, in the, the other life. <laughs> Maybe. And I just thought it was, like, a funny thing to think about. Yeah. Like, who could be the witch? Mm. I'm telling you, I could be a witch. You. Well, if I'm, I'm thinking for like my the family. the good witch. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're the witchiest uh, person I know, yeah, family-wise. Yeah. Ooh, okay, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. All right, well, let's see what our friend has to say. A witch in the family. Hello, lovely queen of the suck, and hello to the entire suck fam. I came across Scared to Death in late August this last year to gear up for the spooky season because... While some may say Halloween celebrations don't start until October, I wholeheartedly assert that we celebrate Summerween in August. (laughs) (laughs) This is so great. Pre-Halloween in September, Halloween in October, post-Halloween or Turkey-ween in November, (laughs) and Jolly Halloween in December. It's never too soon to start getting spooked, and scared to death is such a perfect way to start the season. So much time for ween. You have summer ween, joy ween, turkey ween. Clean ween. Clean ween, dirty ween. You got it all. (laughs) I know, that was so funny. (sighs) Okay. I'm writing in to tell y'all a story about my stepfamily, specifically my stepdad's something. You wouldn't ever think of it if you met them now, but the family has a strange history and deep roots in the Ozarks area of Missouri and actually had ties with a fairly infamous gang of outlaw cowboys who roamed the area in the late 1800s. More recently, the infamous and mysteriously vanished Jimmy Hoffa was good friends of the family and would often go to their house for fried chicken, which he claimed was his favorite. I know, I love it. This story I'm about to tell you happened during my stepdad's great aunt's childhood somewhere in the 40s or 50s. I apologize ahead of time for a lack of specific details as she passed away a year or so ago and I hadn't had the chance to learn more about this particular set of circumstances. I'll do my best to keep the story as close as possible to what she told me and what her siblings have confirmed to be true. Carol Ruth lived with her parents and two brothers in a very rural farm around the Missouri Ozarks. They were, and still are, devout Protestant Christians, and the entire family centers their world around their faith. Living in a very traditional conservative town, this was completely normal for the area, and aside from the odd few connections in the family, such as the Shelton Gang and later Jimmy Hoffa, the family was well-liked and active in their community. All except for one woman. Teresa. Teresa was the great-grandmother of Carol Ruth and her siblings and was widely regarded as a cruel and callous woman. Carol Ruth's parents had to leave town to sell their crops a few times a year, so she and her brothers would be hauled off to their their great-grandmother Teresa's house as their grandparents had passed away and nobody else lived close enough for the kids to stay in school while the parents were away. Teresa's house was small and dark, and the children absolutely hated staying there. Teresa kept it freezing cold even in the bitter Missouri winters, leaving Carol Ruth and her brothers to huddle together around a small wood-burning stove to keep them warm. As Carol Ruth and her brothers were huddled together under a blanket near the stove, they would often nod off until the fire went cold and then venture back out to get some extra wood, taking turns so the remaining two kids could retain their heat. One night, Carol Ruth was woken up by her half-asleep brother to retrieve more wood. As she reached for the wood pile and placed a new small log in the orange embers of the fire, she found herself unable to nod off and in a near trance, 
staring, fixated, at the now smoldering wood. Her stare was broken as she realized that the room around them got much darker, making their shadows look extra black and extra menacing. With a wave of apprehension, Carol Ruth tried again to nod off when she felt a piercing hot sensation on her arm. When she looked at her burning arm, she saw three burnt dots, all in a neat row, as if someone or something had poked her with a hot pitchfork. Horrified, she looked into the fire and swears she saw some mangled-looking demonic being staring out at her, made of fire, and emitting an aura of pure hatred. Her scream woke up her brothers, and then they too looked at the fire and froze in fear. They too could see it. She still had the burn scars on her arm until her death. When the kids later told their great-grandmother what happened, Teresa allegedly laughed and asked them if they enjoyed her little friends. What? The madness Teresa brought into the family's life didn't just begin and end at her own home. Carol Ruth's father and brothers could always tell ahead of time when Teresa was going to visit. The men would be out in the barn milking the cows to find that the milk would start turning a slight pink and then a deep red. Teresa's presence would somehow cause the cow's milk to come out only as blood, and the milk would remain bloody until several hours after Teresa had departed. It got to be such an issue that they would see the pink tint in the milk and abandon milking until the next day, lest they end up with emaciated cows and buckets of red cow's blood. Another strange manifestation that would haunt the family was the presence of snakes. It was almost as if every single time they saw or spoke with Teresa, a snake would make itself known nearby sooner or later. When Carol, Ruth, and her brothers stayed at Teresa's house, they would often see snakes slithering out from under the beds in the nighttime and hear Teresa humming to herself as they lay awake in fear in her home. After a few overnight visits to Teresa's house, Carol, Ruth, and her brothers finally were able to convince their parents that Teresa had some wicked ties with the darkness that followed her everywhere. Their parents agreed that Teresa was bad news, and the final time she came by their house for a visit, their father told Teresa she was no longer she was no longer welcome around their family and that they believed she had made a deal with the devil. Yeah. This made Teresa furious. She screamed and cursed at them and threw an absolute fit. Carol Ruth told me that as she screamed, the table on their front porch started to levitate just an inch or two off the ground, only falling when Teresa turned away to leave. As she left, Teresa turned back one last time, shouting that she'd send all their souls to hell where they would burn forever. Two cows died that day. What? Teresa's death is my personal favorite get the fuck out (laughs) series of events. And they're even wilder than the rest of her story. She died on a Friday the 13th after calling the town's fire department for help. When the firefighters arrived at her home, they said that while Teresa herself appeared to be on fire, nothing else in the home was burning, not even scorched. The firefighters tried to extinguish the burning woman, but even after being hit with multiple pails of water, Teresa would not stop burning. She finally died outdoors after running around her house exactly three times and then collapsed. I don't know if it was the burns that killed her or the shock of the event, but her death was every bit as terrifying as her life. The day she died, Carol Ruth's family was leaving the house after hearing the news of her passing. Their father held out his arm and yelled at the top 
uh, at the family to stop as they approached the front door where Carol Ruth said she saw a massive cobra snake staring them down from just beyond the porch. Instead of going for his gun, her father grabbed a Bible that was on the table next to the door inside and started reading loudly from it. As he read the verses, the snake hissed and thrashed and wriggled, but never actually went towards the family. After a minute or two, it finally slithered away and was never seen again. It all seems far-fetched, I know, but here's the real kicker. There's some weird evidence that strangely matches up with this story. I found through city records that Teresa's death was recorded as a fire incident, and unbelievably, I found an article reporting that cobras, not native to the area, were plaguing it all around the time of Teresa's death. I honestly don't know how much of the story to believe. Carol Ruth was, as my stepdad put it, a bit of an odd duck. But but there's something to be said for finding evidence of her grandma's ghastly death matching the stories of her ghastly life. Stay safe and sane, Mrs. Peeper. Your love, with love and spooks, your fan and creeper, Casey. Or Case. I don't know. K-A-C-E. Case? K-A-C-E? I don't know. Could be either way. Yeah. Casey, maybe? Casey Case. Casey that, Kasem. I love that story. Isn't that creepy? Man, uh, Teresa, she is, after some of that shit, I'm like, Teresa needs to never fucking come to our house again. Well, that's why they I know. said she couldn't come anymore. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, like by the end there. Um, but just like the whole thing with like the cow blood. That was the worst of it. Yee. Or was the snakes the worst? I don't know. Well, and, and even that thing of like, <laughs> if the kids did corroborate a story, like little Carol Ruth, which by the way, I love. That's such a great Missouri name. I know. Ozark's I was like, of name. course it's Fucking Carol Ruth. Carol Ruth. I know. And then I was trying to think about Ozark's The Show. I was like, mm-hmm. wait, Ruth. I think Car- Ruth. Yeah, Ruth. Ruth. Yeah, Ruth. it's Ruth. Yeah. Is that great character. Great character. God, I just read a great article about her maybe in Vanity Fair, which is not like necessarily my favorite, but like good for gossip. Yeah. And... Man, she is, like, really crushing it. That actress? Yeah. Yeah, she's married or dating or married to a really well-known musician, and I can't remember his name. Are you sure? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That actress who plays Ruth on Ozarks is the girlfriend, fiancé, or wife of, like, oh, wow, cool. Like, uh, and I just can't remember who it is right now. That's interesting because I just saw her at the— Farmer's Market. Yes, of Wait, course. We're best friends. Yeah, we're okay. BFF. Huh? Uh, no, she was just at the Met Gala, and which is like you know such a big fashion event. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with all of that. Yeah, and she was there. I I could have sworn she was there with her partner, girlfriend, wife. Hmm. But maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just the way the photos were staged. But they looked awfully like intimate. Well, maybe she's maybe she broke up with what's his name and now is with her. I don't know. I, I don't Ah, I wish I had my phone in my pocket. I, I, I would Google, look. Google, Google, Joe, help us out. <laughs> God, I did it. It took okay. me a long time. Yeah. Okay. Foster the people. Yes, that's so right. Oh. Mark, Mark Foster. Mark Foster? All the other kids with the Better run, better run, better run faster, faster than, than my bullet. Yeah. Oh boy, he don't even know the words. <laughs> I I knew he was. I knew he was. She was with Foster the People guy. Well, yeah. not exactly, but I knew a musician. Well, yeah, anyway, I mean, you were right. Anyways, carry on. Uh, but th- that yeah, that story, and then like the thing is like if your kids are of an age where you kind of like believe what they say. Like, okay, let's say Kyler Monroe. Go, oh, yeah. Go to, go to stay with a relative. Oh, my God. And they come back and say, we saw a weird little creature in the flames. And then, okay, they go to stay with my dad and, and, uh, and <laughs> Gigi? Jerry and Gigi. And, and they say, <laughs> they saw a weird little creature in the flames. It would just never happen there. Oh, right. God, this is so funny. And then they tell Gigi. And then Gigi <laughs> tells them like, oh, you saw my little friends? They are fucking never going back there. Okay, maybe. You are staying away from demon lady. Okay, maybe this is why I considered my Aunt Joyce 
to possibly be the most witchy. Yeah. So growing up, uh, I mean, she had a very tragic life. But before things went to hell in a handbasket, she lived like pretty far from us, like any Clevelanders. I grew up in Parma Heights. She lived in Medina. So Mm -hmm. it was not close at all. And I loved her. I was obsessed with her. She was just like cool. Mm -hmm. And I would always want to spend the night at her house. But I was at that phase where I couldn't make it through the night at anybody else's house that wasn't my own. Right. So the first time my mom's like, okay. And then she's like, God damn it. She came and got me. Lindsay cry, baby. Exactly. And then the next time she's like, you have to stay no matter what. And so here's the scenario. Okay. My aunt Joyce had two sons, Ross and Scott. And I was going to sleep on the floor. Scott was younger or is younger closer in age to me and he i was gonna sleep in his room okay blow up mattress mm-hmm. on the floor mm-hmm. next to his fucking cage with a goddamn snake in it <laughs> perfect what could go Which, wrong what everyone thought was fine because like yeah. joys again like things that like my the rest of my family was like okay she is weird but like they had snakes they had like you know uh iguanas <laughs> yeah. lizard and i just i remember waking up in the middle of the night and being like uh-uh uh, no, no, no. Like, you have someone has to come get me, like, crying, sobbing. Oh, man. I know. So scared. I think my, I think I was forced to stay that time. Good. I don't remember where I got to sleep. Yeah. Um, but then, like, as I got older, my, in my aunt's life, her and my Uncle Bill and Scott moved to another house even further out. I would try and spend the night there as, like, a teenager. She just had so many weird, creepy things in her house that are not creepy during the day, mm-hmm. but creepy at night. Like, those, um, those monkey sock dolls oh, yeah. but like tons of them and then they were all over the guest room and why do you want to do so many sleepovers at fucking creepy aunt's house she was so cool she would let me do anything she ah. was super fun i could cuss with her there she loved go. to go shopping like she was just oh, okay. she was super great but yeah. her house was fucking creepy <laughs> i i don't know it's just like all those little things so all these things i'm like mm-hmm, the snakes totally get it yeah, yeah like she was like anti-religion like, i mean she just, she, listen, maybe her start, and Teresa are related. Start call, calling you Carol Ruth. No. You were, you were a little Carol Ruth. Why was I Carol Ruth? Could I cry, cry baby Carol? <laughs> you just, you were the equivalent of that character in the story. Oh. Just because you were at the creepy person's house. That's all. I know, but, but Carol Ruth was forced to be there. Okay. I, I okay. was going by okay, choice. You're going by choice. <laughs> Which was my poor mom. I'll have to give her a call after this and apologize for that. Uh, so funny. Do you want to thank the Annabelles first or me today? Oh, sure. I'll go first. Okay. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon Stephen Messina, Eric Schaefer, Selena Wicken, Zacharias Johnson, Erica Hamilton, Haley Boris, Save the Merry Witch, <laughs> Kennedy Voren, Liz Evans. Erie Conti. I hope I didn't forget a letter there. I think it's pronounced Conti. I just, I glanced at what? How could you? <laughs> I wasn't worried about the last name, you oh. asshole. Oh. Erie, because it's E-R-R-Y. I'm like, oh, did I leave off a J? Is that Jerry? Oh, okay. Perry? Carrie. I am so sorry. You can send me an email and tell me how I fucked it up. Shannon Bailey. Cody Schott. Daniel Taylor. Emily Funkhauser. Great name. Rebecca, no last name given, Von 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 Bullfrog. <laughs> That's not a real name. Aisha Pacheo, David Rivera, Emma Houts, Mackenzie Stanley, Emily Hilgendorf, Hannah Hosh, Lisa Windham, Jenny Snell, Chelsea Ark, and Samantha Kraus. Thank you, Carol Ruth. I would like to thank uh, Crystal Murphy or Murray. Okay. I got, oh. I got so into Carol Ruth, I wasn't focused on it. I'd like to thank Annabelle Crystal Murray, Jessica Burton, Andrew Darnell, Indy Roberts, Louise Rodriguez, Carlos Chavez, Sarah No Last Name, Oli Gardner Lang, Jennifer Muck, 
<laughs> I do love that last name. Muck? Muck. That's an interesting one. Because it's like, like um, in muck, the muck? Muck party one. Yeah. Um, we, I bet, I bet, oh, poor Muck poor has muck. heard it all. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, we're in the muck again. Muck fuck. Like Wait, all kinds of muck it up. <laughs> uh, Nancy, Nancy Vallejo, uh, Catherine Brokenkamp, or Bokenkamp, Catherine Bokenkamp, Matthew Abbott, Yahara Warden, or Yahara Warden, Megan King, Jessica Lasota, Chops F, One Red Dragon Skull One, <laughs> Bree Skywalker, awesome, uh, Sarah Michelle, Carrie and Marshall Barber, Nicholas Gray, Chara Cummings, Cole the Conqueror, awesome, uh, Eloy Zavala, and Henry Walker. Did you say Barbers? I think that Carrie and... Carrie, yeah, Barber. Mm-hmm. Carrie and something Barber. What was the second name? Uh, it was uh, Carrie and Marshall Barber. And my sneaking suspicion is mm-hmm. that they're related to Eric Barber, and oh. they're the ones that made... Made the little pop, pop guys. Uh, Puppets. Up, oh, well, this came down in the middle of the show, Yeah, which we, we were going to not address, but since now I have to reach <laughs> back here. This is the curtain for Is We Dumb. Yeah. We share sets, and it fell down, which is odd because I really tucked it up there. But we have our... Yeah, Funko Pops, and I yeah. I know that they came from Eric Barber, and I swear that in his note, Eric said his brother and sister in law, sister and brother, oh, something. Cool. So I think oh, those are so cool. I know I'm so cute. Um, <laughs> I think that might be from them. Okay, and then I have some spooky shoutouts. Okay, do it to Nick from Marissa. Happy happy belated birthday to Cat and Norman from Chase Chaz. Thank you for keeping me virtual company during lockdown. To Lizard from Joe, love you, and happy belated birthday. To Dan from Nicole, happy belated birthday. Thanks for the adventures. Three out of five stars. <laughs> to Casey from Radley, I love you. And to Jada from Andrea, happy 21st birthday. Awesome. And that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith on social media and with the badmagicmerch.com design. Joe Paisley for producing and directing. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding both of my stories today. If you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, more monthly content to help donate to our charities, please check out our Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee. Through time and space, evil may pass through, but hath no home here within, scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 